Welcome in to another new podcast from the Association for Materials Protection and Performance. My name is Ben Dubose, and I'm a staff writer with AMP Publications, where I write for Codings Pro Magazine and for Materials Performance Magazine. Today, in our latest AMP podcast, we're chatting with Leslie Martinez, Manager of Conferences at AMP. We just wrapped up the first AMP Annual Conference and Expo, and now that COVID restrictions are almost completely eliminated in most places, we should have a very busy few months ahead, really a year ahead, because we're already gearing up for AMP 2023. And yes, it should be very busy as it pertains to in-person events. Leslie, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Doing well. Thanks, Ben, for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a good place to start, or before we jump into it, a primer of this, we're going to be talking about certainly the AMP 22 that just wrapped up. We're going to be talking about the virtual on-demand option for that event which is open now and runs through, I believe, late May. We're also going to be talking about some of the key dates and next steps for the 2023 cycle leading up to the AMP Annual Conference and Expo in March 2023 in Denver. And Leslie, of course, as the manager of conferences, is the appropriate person at AMP to answer some of those questions. But I think that a good place to start, Leslie, let's just talk about AMP 2022, what just got done about a month ago in San Antonio. Uh, give us some facts and figures as far as attendees, exhibitors, feedback, just how did it generally go and what were some of the highlights? Yeah, no, uh, you know, it was like you were said, COVID restrictions are being lifted. We saw quite a few lifted right before the event and right. which was great because we ended up having a little over 5,000 attendees. Um, right about 800 were international, which was really exciting to see um, this year. Um, we had 346 exhibiting companies in the exhibit hall. Um, 66 of those were new companies this year um, for for AMP. Um, whether they had participated, they did not participate either in Legacy NACE or SSPC. Um, so that was again something that was exciting to see. In terms of we had 65 different activations and sponsorships, so there was just a lot going on um, throughout the week uh, for attendees. Um, what else do we have in terms of the programming? We still had over 42 symposia, which had um, about 425 papers that were presented either there in person or um, the authors. If they weren't able to attend in person, they recorded uh, their presentations and we had it available for viewing um, at the event this year. So it was that was really exciting to see that we were able to kind of keep that flow going on, even if people weren't able to attend. Um, we still were able to have those presentations there. Um, you know, and honestly, Ben, the general feeling for everybody is that they were just excited to be back this year. Um, it's been three years since our NACE members have had an annual conference and we just had the conference kickoff, uh, or we had the Codings Plus, the final Codings Plus event that happened in December, but that was right when Omicron was like right. really at its height. And so a lot of people weren't able to travel for that. So the fact that we were able to get together, you know, just a month ago. It was I think people were the general sentiment was just relief and just really excited to see people again. Yeah, for sure. And anecdotally, as someone that runs the show daily components of these events, it seemed like um, with regards to COVID in particular, 
the March event, the AMP annual conference seemed a lot more stable, whereas when we did Codings Plus in December, there were so many late changes because of either the virus itself or some sort of restriction. Someone that had planned to give a presentation wasn't able to make it in for one reason or another, whereas in March, not going to say there were no disruptions, but at least it felt like to me that there weren't as many just hectic last minute changes. Is that what it was like for you? Absolutely. You know, we saw a lot of stuff get thrown at us right, you know, December, right around the times of coding plus and even in January. But I felt like in February, everything just started to really kind of settle down. Right. Um, and we even had a lot of we had a few last minute um, exhibitors come in in those final weeks because people got clearance to travel. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of attendees register in those last two weeks, too. It was um, that was just definitely something that you know as somebody that plans the event and sees that that was a relief mm -hmm. to see you know okay this is actually happening like we're going to be able to come together again so yeah and one of the other things about codings plus and you already mentioned the legacy nace and legacy sspc crowds but uh, there were certainly I guess number one, some sadness because it was the final Coatings Plus, but also I, I think some apprehension because anytime you take people that are predominantly with one of these legacy organizations and then you merge them together, of course, we've been talking about the benefits of, you know, uniting under the AMP umbrella for well over a year now, but definitely from some of the more legacy crowd, there's some apprehension about, you know, are they going to lose what made that particular legacy association special to them and so i feel like you know amp 2022 in san antonio was one of the first events that really tested that dynamic so did you hear much from either legacy crowd in terms of what they thought and you know did it potentially alleviate some of the fears that they had about you know, be it uh, corrosion control, protective coatings, whatever their particular field is, you know, I'm sure there's some fear that perhaps their wheelhouse is going to be overlooked in this merger. Uh, was there any sense of relief after things got done that, you know, perhaps they're still going to be represented? You know, that was one thing It's you bring up some good points of just people feeling like they're going to just get lost in the mix, um, right. you know, and what we really tried to do for this year is um, bring in more of that, more of the coatings content. So we had a lot more, we pretty much had double the forums and workshops this year. Um, and a lot of those concentrated on, um, on coatings content, um, you know, and something that we're looking to do as well, because, because of that feedback is we're implementing um, just some slight changes with how we, deliver the content for 23 um, and to really encourage more of, you know, that coding's content in what we have. Um, I know the research committee is looking at, you know, how we do the RIPs, the research in progress session with being um, more broad and not so specific to corrosion, but opening it up to some of the topics to bring in more of that coding's. Um, like I said, more of that coding's content. So that is something that we're looking to implement with 23 is bringing in even more into our, into the technical symposia, into our forums and workshops, and also into more um, sessions that are just more informational. Um, just really opening that up to be 
you know, all encompassing, if you will, uh, more about materials protection and performance. Um, so that's that's what I'm hoping people are going to see um, as we get dive into 23 and um, what we've got coming down the pipeline in these coming months. Um, so we'll see. We'll see yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's always in flux. Um, in terms of the exhibits, was there anything in terms of particular uh, types of booths, technologies? Did anything particularly stand out as far as the exhibit hall? Because I know this was really the first time in three years, um, early 2019. Was 2019 Nashville? I'm trying to recall. That, yeah, 2019 was Nashville. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, 2018 was Phoenix. It's all come, coming back to me now. And then, of course, we didn't do it in 2020 or 2021. Well, 2021, we did have the virtual. Um, was there anything with regards to the exhibit hall, the types of exhibits that stood out as far as uh, the 2022 show and the return to, I guess, some form of exhibit normalcy? You know, in terms of like what we would see at the NACE Corrosion event, definitely, um, a lot of familiarity with that, but I think for somebody that like myself that was not involved with Codings Plus in the past, mm -hmm. um, I didn't have a staff member. I didn't have the opportunity to attend that show. But one thing that was different for me was seeing the large equipment. You know, we mm -hmm. had the large equipment display. Um, there's quite a few booths that also had other large pieces as well. I love that stuff. You know, it's just it's something different. It's not just a you know a ten by ten booth, which right. those are great. But um, I think it's also great to see companies that can bring in, you know, some of their pieces of, you know, equipment or technology. Um, so that was just something different that I saw this year. Um, you know, another thing that we tried to do that I think um, Codings Plus did well is have like un unopposed exhibit hours. Mm. Um, so I did my best to not schedule any type of meetings or programming like on Tuesday for about a two hour time block on Tuesday, as well as on Wednesday, just to really encourage people to go down to that exhibit hall um, and visit our exhibitors. And I think uh, we've got, to be honest, we got 50-50 feedback on that. There are some that really like that um, because especially from the attendee side, our programming, um, I think in both events is always just very heavy programming mm -hmm. um, that people wanna see, but they also wanna go down to the exhibit hall. Um, and meet with people down there. So the fact that we kind of force them to have that opportunity, if you will, yeah. uh, you know, I think we got some good feedback on that. So, um, and that's, I think that's something that we're looking to continue. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's something we are evaluating. Cause like I said, it was a 50, 50 on that um, in terms of what people liked, but we're trying to come up with people that didn't like that opportunity. It's more of they liked there's that extra day for like meetings and whatnot. Um, so we're trying to come up with alternatives for them um, to really still continue those unopposed hours for our exhibitors um, and to give, like I said, give those attendees a chance to take a break from programming, sitting in there, um, you know, in the classrooms and really, you know, walk around and see, you know, what's out there, like what's the new technology, what's what are companies doing um, out there, you know. Um, so yeah, that's what we're hoping to see for 23. Yeah. We're talking now with Leslie Martinez, manager of conferences at AMP. And I want to transition to talking about the virtual on-demand option, which is available now and runs through uh, late May and some of, I suppose, the frequently asked questions that you may get about that for people interested in uh, that particular option. 
I think a place I wanted to start this discussion, I, I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with uh, two executives at uh, KTA Tater, and we're going to run it in the uh, June issue, I believe, of Codings Pro, a portion of the transcript. The podcast is already up on our uh, Codings Pro channel. But they were talking about, you know, trying to get uh, AMP events younger and the challenge of getting more people in this industry that don't have gray hair was the expression that they used, you know, progressively involved as the months and years pass. I know that's always a challenge, but the reason I bring it up in the context of the virtual discussion, they talked about the virtual offering being really important to young people because for various reasons, maybe they don't have the money. There's all sorts of other things that they're balancing. And they were saying that for young people in particular, the opportunity to take it in virtually, perhaps they get some of those professional development hours is a really big deal. And it was interesting to me because, you know, when I hear virtual, the first thing I think of is, oh, it's good for the international crowd because Obviously, in theory, they would not have to travel, and that can be a big expense. On the other hand, you know, you mentioned leading off our discussion today that there's a pretty big uptick, especially compared to Codings Plus, in international travel, pe people coming in from it. And so I guess I'm curious, just in the overall demo, in terms of the virtual on demand, certainly I think a lot of us just superficially think about the international crowd as a big beneficiary of it, but talking to people on the ground, it sounds like that really the young demographic, not just internationally, but here in the US as well, is just as big or even bigger just because they have just quite frankly so many things going on and they may not have the money to do the full blown in person experience. What are you seeing as far as the demos and you know, is that a fair assessment of the types of people that may be taking this in? Um, to be honest, Ben, I do see kind of a, a wide array of people that have okay. um, purchased the the virtual on demand, but you do bring up a good point um, in terms of the our younger crowd, particularly with the students. We we've seen this across the board, even with some of the events that we had last year. Some of the ones that we have coming up is just that our our younger demographic in terms of our like our graduate students, like you said, they're just they either don't have the money or they're not getting the approvals to go to conferences. So this virtual on demand is an option for them to still. You know, get that knowledge base, learn what's going on, learn more about the industry also. And like you mentioned, you do get those the professional development hours um, by taking part in in the virtual on demand. That is that option. We do have that option mm -hmm. for them. Um, so yeah, with this, I think with this year right now, because of, you know, COVID is still, for some people it's, it's, it's still kind of an issue in terms of the restrictions that their company has. So we've actually kind of seen, um, I, I've, I've seen a mix of everybody that's not really falling to one particular demographic or the other, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. It was just interesting to me because I hadn't thought about it in, you know, quite those terms and that, you know, I've always thought about it strictly in terms of the economics, but yeah, with young people and I suppose economics are a part of it, but yeah, young people just tend to have so much going on, especially the students, as you said, that it's a, you know, a much easier opportunity for them to still get those hours and get some sort of benefit. As far as the specifics of the process, what are some of the common questions that you get? Um, I guess a good place to start. Number one, how long is the virtual content available? And you know, what are some of the FAQs, if you will, that um, 
that you often get from people that are potentially interested in uh, in purchasing that? Yeah, so the um, the on demand um, option is available until May 31st. Um, so it will be recordings that we had on site for the, the symposia, the research in progress sessions, some of the forums, not all of them, but some of them, and then um, our theater sessions uh, will be um, on demand for viewing. Um, it's available 24 seven uh, and it's open to in any individual that was a full conference registrant or that specifically purchased the virtual on demand option. Mm -hmm. uh, they those individuals will have access. Um, sales for the virtual on demand are still ongoing um, and they'll be available until May 30th. Essentially, you know, there's somebody that may come in last minute, um, but mm -hmm. that is still available for purchase if somebody wants to get access. Um, and yeah, like I said, you still get the option to get PDHs. I know that is for some people, you know, they'll need to either they need to renew their certification or apply for an exam or whatnot. You know, they have those re the PDH requirements and the on demand does allow. We do allow for individuals to uh, claim those hours um, with yeah. that as soon as they essentially as soon as they purchase. So and then some of the other I was trying to think of what some of the other uh, questions that we get. Um, one thing that I would say is that if somebody does go online and they don't see a video uploaded for whatever reason, or if they're having issues, to so definitely reach out to us um, mm -hmm. and we can try to help them uh, with that. I mean, we've been through this system several times. We've reviewed, improved, improved, and sometimes there's like maybe one or two videos that slipped up, um, mm -hmm. but definitely to reach out if they don't see something that they were hoping to see. Yeah. Sure. As far as in-person events and looking forward, uh, we'll wrap up in a few minutes talking about AMP 2023 in Denver, but just the rest of 2022, we've got a lot of regional conferences. I know we've got CTW in the fall. Um, are we basically back to where we were in 2019 or are we close? I mean, I know, you know, obviously 2020 was entirely virtual. 2021, we started to dip our toes back in the water, uh, especially middle to late part of the year, but it certainly wasn't a full schedule relative to 2019. As far as in-person events the rest of the year, where are we compared to 2019? Are we close to, you know, back to normal in terms of, um, you know, the more regional events and specialized events that, you know, we typically have on? Well, and of course, what I say compared to 2019, obviously we're AMP now. Back then it was, um, in our case, NACE. But uh, are, are we back to having the majority of those types of smaller association conferences for the remainder of 2022? Yeah, we are. We're close. We're not... I wouldn't say we're a hundred percent back just mm -hmm. yet. Um, definitely within the U.S. Um, and even Canada. You know, the northern area is having um, a conference in April. We are we are back in person for the most okay. part. Um, awesome. And then internationally, we are seeing some are that we actually started the year off, or even the end of last year, planning for twenty two to be virtual. Virtual. They're now saying nope, we want to be in person. Mm. Um, so we are starting to see that um, there are still some areas, though, that are on lockdown or still have restrictions. So um, what some people wanted to have this year for an, an event, we were having to push to 2023. So we're getting there. We're not 100%, but we are getting there, um, especially as we start to see like other countries start to ease up their restrictions or just 
completely eliminate those restrictions sure. altogether that will help us internationally for sure. So as we wind down, let's talk about AMP 2023 in Denver, because even though it's uh, 11 months away, I know we're pretty uh, deep into the process as far as planning, and I know the call for abstracts is very early on. Where are we now? Or I guess before we go into the dates, just, you know, why was Denver the pick and what's the really, you know, what's the sense of excitement as far as Denver as uh, a destination next year? Yeah, so, you know, in terms of, Picking locations, um, you know, we have the Gulf Coast. So we have like Houston, New Orleans, and San Antonio on rotation every other year. And then when mm-hmm. we're right, and those are the even years. So when we're in the odd years, we try to change it up to go either, you know, like more West Coast or more East Coast or Central. Um, so Denver was uh, something that the board had picked. Quite a few years ago, actually, I want to say it was before my time as a manager, like right before my time. But it's a city that um, it's a great city for a conference. The convention center, I'm actually really excited about the convention center. Um, I think the flow to it is really good, especially compared to some of the feedback we had from San Antonio. So I think for attendees in terms of programming, it's going to be great. It's also in a compact city. Um, yeah. And Very it's a destination true. too, you know, like people like Denver, there's activities to do like before and after. Um, and so I think that's something that uh, cities that always, you know, that are good as destinations in terms of activities are always kind of a um, a good pick for our members, or at least they like it, you know, like with Denver and we've got Nashville coming up in 25. So that's another one. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's just, we wanted to kind of take it back to the West side, get more. Yep over there to get those that membership base if you will and even right. the um east asia pacific i know it will be a lot it'll be easier for them to travel um to this conference as well yeah and especially some of the international crowd may not have been uh able to go in 2022 because of the restrictions so yeah having it a little more accessible to them in 2023 is definitely not a bad thing as far as the dates, I know, you know, 11 months away, it's feels like a long time, but it's really not, especially when we're talking about some of the papers, the abstracts. Um, what are the the key dates? And if a date isn't set yet, I guess what's a more generalized time frame as far as, uh, you know, when things start, certainly the call for abstracts, but then, you know, when we open up registration, when, you uh, you know, potentially the housing window starts. I know some of these you don't have the exact date yet, but just take us through, you know, just a general timetable as far as how this typically works. Sure, absolutely. So what's going to be done different this year is we are reopening the call for topics. So call for symposia topics and forums and um, more informational tracks. Um, We're reopening that. That's going to be open until May 31st. Um, so if somebody is interested, still interested in having a track or a session at the annual conference, they can, they still have the opportunity to submit, um, until May 31st, um, our, the conferences and events program committee is going to be reviewing those topics, um, in June to where, um, once they select those, then we will open up, we're planning on opening up the call for abstracts late June, early, very early July. And that will go through until September, beginning of September. Um, And then in September too, we'll open up like the student poster session call for abstracts, as well as the research in progress call for abstracts. Um, 
And then let's see, we're going to be opening up housing and registration in uh, late October, if not the very beginning of November for this year. Yeah. Um, so that's when that stuff will open. Yeah. Again, the conference specifically will be March 19th through the 23rd. Yeah. And, and as far as exhibit space, I'm assuming that's already open. That's already yeah, in progress as far as rebooking. Open. Yeah, exactly. So people are rebooking um, now. So if anybody's interested, they can uh, contact us and get their booth selection that is going <laughs> uh, going on currently. Yeah. Um, so um, they definitely were very active at uh, in San Antonio with booth space selection. For sure. So it's really exciting. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, as we wind down, Leslie, for anybody that wants more information on AMP events, AMP annual, uh, or just wants to get in contact with you uh, or anybody else from your team, let's just say they have a question about virtual, as you mentioned earlier, uh, what's the best way that they can access more information or uh, contact you all in conferences? Yeah, so um, they can either contact myself directly. Um, my information is up on the, uh, the AMP annual website for 22 we still have that open just because of virtual on demand is open our yep. about page has that info also if somebody wants to go to our calendar of events and just just to see what is coming up um through this year uh, each of those events should have the contact information listed for my other colleagues like megan leva and reggie de borja um, mm -hmm. their information is also listed there as well so calendar of events is definitely a good place to start out and just to get access to the event websites if they want more info. Yep, perfect. Folks, this is where we will leave things today. And if you want more information on our end in POBS, you can check out codingspromag.com and materialsperformance.com. And of course, you can check out the broader AMP website as well at ampp.org for all sorts of news related to corrosion control, protective coatings, and of course, the events that we hold now more and more in person, thankfully, to bring this industry together and highlight some of their recent developments in the field. Anyway, with that, we'll sign off. For Leslie Martinez, I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks as always for listening, and please come back soon for another new AMP podcast.